Now today, uh, we are, we're talking through the journey through Philippians, and some of you, you, you may not have really been reading the Bible, maybe the Bible's kind of new to you. The Bible is actually a collection of many different books and different kinds. Some of them are poetry books, some are history books, and in the New Testament, which is the writings about Jesus' life and after his life, there are letters, and there are letters written to specific groups of people that we've uh, kept and put within the Bible to really teach the church and us as Christians. And this is a book, Philippians, it's written by a church leader named Paul to a church in the Greek city of Philippi, Philippians, that's why it's called that. And here's the interesting thing about this letter. Uh, Paul is a very driven individual. He's got goals, he has ambitions, and he is very active in achieving the aims of his life. But there's a day where all of his goals get interrupted, and, and he realizes he's got to push all those, you've got to push pause on all those. And some of you may be the same way. Maybe there's been a time in your life, or maybe it's right now, where you had goals and ambitions, but something happened. You go, that's all going to have to wait. And maybe it was a medical diagnosis for you or a family member. Uh, Maybe it's just job loss. Any number of things could happen. But in those moments where you go, everything I'm trying to get, I've now got to wait on that. Those can be immensely emotional times. For Paul, uh, what happened was here he is trying to build this new thing called the church in uh, the Roman territories. And in Rome, uh, there was no separation of religion and state. And so there was confusion. This brand new thing starting called Christianity. And the Romans at this time, in history it shows, they were really confused. Is this a religion or might this be a threat to the Roman rule? And so many, many Christians were arrested and some tortured to try to understand what this is. Paul is just like it. He was arrested for his faith imprisoned and he's awaiting trial all those things he wanted to do all those things he wanted to accomplish were not going to happen he's now house arrest he's chained to a guard and the church had to been wondering how's he doing like how's he doing everything he wanted to do he can't do he's been arrested just for his faith is he depressed is he anxious is he fearful is he angry how's he doing And he sends just one letter that we're aware of to this church. And as they read it, they must have been wondering how he is, right? How would you be doing? And in a moment, we're going to talk because how Paul was doing shocked them, as I think it should shock us. Because he wasn't marked by anxiety or anger or depression. His words are actually hopeful, joy-filled, and peaceful. And it had to have stood out to that church in Philippi 2,000 years ago. And if you're a Christian, it has to stand out to you. How can someone in difficult circumstances still maintain their joy? How can someone whose whole life is on hold, all the goals, all the ambitions, how can they be peaceful? And I want to unpack what we can learn from Paul's life and then apply it to us so that we can have that same peace in our day. Now before I do, though, I do want to have just a pastoral conversation with you. Uh, See, I believe we're in an era of uh, immense mental health issues. I'd call it a crisis of mental health right now. Last several years, anxiety has been on the rise. Depression has been on the rise. Suicide's been on the rise. And and I want to be very gentle when it comes to talking about these types of issues. And on this, you know, if you think about specifically anxiety and depression, uh, I think much of what we've done in our culture Uh, We just lack a little definition. We use kind of the same words for all different types. And and some of the times, unintentionally, how we speak about this can trigger people. So I just want to give a little definition on this. When I think about depression and anxiety, I really separate it into two categories. Situational depression and anxiety and clinical. Situational is just that. 
the circumstances of your life have overwhelmed you in certain areas and maybe led to depression, uh, maybe to anxiety and fear, but it's tied to a situation. Some of the times this is about a relationship breakup. Some of the times this is about a job loss. Uh, Some of the times uh, it's having a child. Uh, Even seasons, if you live in Chicago, about February, March, some of you experience some of this. I do too. But you go, it's tied to a situation. And when the situation resolves, many times the depression goes away, the anxiety goes away. Uh, Clinical is different. Clinical may be triggered by a situation, but when the situation resolves, the depression and anxiety stays. Kind of hard to explain. Clinical sometimes is rooted in childhood trauma that's not processed or healed. Some of the times it's rooted in uh, traumatic brain injury. Some of the times it's rooted just in the chemicals of our body. The thing with clinical uh, is merely trying harder to fix the situation doesn't always take care of it. And many of my friends who've struggled with both clinical depression and anxiety, they'll tell a story of being at a church when a pastor who's who's well-meaning, who's really trying to help, talks about, you you know, lift your anxieties to God and he'll take them from you. And someone who has a clinical uh, anxiety, they go, I've tried and it doesn't work. And unintentionally, what that pastor does is by saying, all you have to do is hand it to God, they feel shame that there must be something wrong with their faith. They feel shame, and they walk out, and it's actually made it worse. The last thing I want to do today, as we talk about this topic of joy in the midst of circumstances, is to trigger any of you who struggle with clinical anxiety or depression. By and large, what I'll talk about is situational, just so you know. Now, I do think there's things that Paul's going to teach us that may benefit those of you with clinical depression or anxiety. But I just want you to know, if you may have this right here, if you may have clinical, here's the thing. Uh, The temptation with both of these is to isolate. When you get down, you go, I I just want to be alone. When you're overwhelmed with anxiety, you go, I don't want anyone to see this. And so the temptation is to isolate. And that's actually the worst thing you can do. The best thing you can do is actually move towards community, move towards a trusted person who cares about you, who will listen, who can help you. Move towards them. Let them in on what you're feeling, all the emotions, all the anxieties, and invite them to help. Uh, My friends uh, who have clinical, many times, once they find a good Christian therapist, they'll discover, uh, uh, really, meds can help as well. There are good medications now that can just take the edge off the anxiety, lift you just a little bit out of depression. Our our church on this, by the way, uh, we have pastors at the phones, 9 to 5, every day of the week, Monday through Friday. If you go, I struggle with depression, I feel overwhelmed by anxiety, can I ask you? Call the church. All you have to do is call and just say, I'd like to talk to a pastor. They'll connect you and tell them how you're feeling. Our church can help give you recommendations on uh, Christian therapists, trusted Christian therapists. And I've found personally, many of my friends too, a trusted therapist can help you process this. But don't try to fix it on your own. Please don't isolate. And take this very seriously and and get the help you need. Our church wants to come alongside you in the midst of this. Uh, Now, Paul, very specifically, Paul, what he's going to talk about is situational. And that's what I want to talk to you about. Paul's situation, his circumstance would lead you to think, surely he should be depressed, filled with anxiety, anger. He should be filled with lots of different emotions. But he's not. Paul has something very different. 19 times in the book of Philippians, Paul talks about joy or being joyful. 
But Paul's words, we'll read in just a second, there is a peacefulness about him that's very hard to explain. Again, Paul's circumstances, arrested one day, he's awaiting trial, and the idea is he is chained up to a Roman centurion, a Roman guard, so he can't get away from him. Uh, He doesn't know when his trial is, so every day he wakes up, he wonders, is this the day I go to trial? Maybe today, maybe not. There's no, no one's telling him a schedule every day. Can you imagine the anxiety? Is this the day? Uh, And with the Romans, this Christian faith was a capital crime. It was viewed as a threat to the political nature. So Paul, if he's convicted, is put to death. And history tells us this is exactly what will happen. Can you imagine the emotions he must have been feeling? And yet, he seems so peaceful. Here's Philippians chapter 2. I just want you, this is the second chapter of 4. In my Bible, there's only four pages. This is page two for this one. Here's what he says to this church. And here's what he's writing, not just the church in Philippi. I think he's saying it to us too. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you've got any comfort from his love, if you've got any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love and being one in spirit and one in mind. Isn't that beautiful? Paul's saying to the church, he goes, I've got a ton of joy in my life, but you know what? There's one thing that could make my joy complete, and it's if you, the church, if you love each other, if you care about each other, you'd be like-minded, serve each other, be compassionate towards them. Paul's saying, I got so much going on, it's great, but I just wish the church would love each other a little bit better. Can you imagine this from a guy awaiting a death sentence? He's saying, I've got so many joyful things, I just wish you, the church, would be just 10% more loving to each other. He was filled with joy. Now, how is this possible? That's the key question we want to talk about. How is it possible for him in that situation? And then how do we apply it to our situations today so that we can have the same kind of peace and the same kind of joy as he had? I told you he said the word joy 19 times, and that's exactly how we believe he felt. The secret to it, I think, is a second word that he used quite frequently, and you just saw it in this last verse as well, and it's the word mind. See, Paul will describe that the key to his joy is how he set his mind. 19 times he talks joy, 10 times he says mind or mindset. And here's what I find fascinating. Paul's letter was written almost 2,000 years ago. Paul describes if you want to be joyful in your life, have a, a mind set the right way to perceive things. What Paul will teach is you can't control the circumstances of your life. You really can't. The only thing you can control is how your mind receives that interprets it and then really how your mind perceives it then it informs how you're going to feel and then respond and here's what i love again this book's written 2000 years ago modern psychology is finding the exact same thing by and large the treatments for this are around mindfulness and your mindset how you perceive the world and then feel how the mind works in fact one of the best-selling books in this field is a book called mindset by carol dwick Over 2 million copies sold. And the core of her learning on how we perceive things and then respond to difficult situations started in a, uh, really an experience she created with kids to see how do they handle failure. So what she did was she invited kids in and she had a set of puzzles for them to solve. The first one was really easy. The second one got a little more difficult. The third one was absolutely impossible. She intentionally was creating a problem for kids that they could not solve. That's torturous, isn't it? Without telling them, most of the kids responded the way you'd think. Frustrated, angry, depressed. 
But then she discovered a few kids who had a very different response. One of them she described as a young little boy, and he's on the third one, and it's not working. And he's sweating, and he's struggling. And then in the midst of it, he turns to her, and a smile comes to his face. And he says, oh, I'm so glad these are hard. I was hoping I'd get a challenge today. A second little girl, very similar, got to this third one. She's struggling through it, and she turned to her and she said, I really like this. I love learning. And she realized, given an impossible problem, there's a certain mindset that does not become frustrated, angry, depressed, that actually how they viewed this turned it, and they found joy in the midst of something that was impossible. This is where she changed the focus, and she said, how you view things makes all the difference in the world. All of us face trouble. All of us face circumstances that are incredibly painful. How you view the world and interpret, that makes all the difference. Here's basically her thesis. She says, the view you adopt for yourself profoundly affects the way you lead your life. Again, what I love, psychology here today is learning the exact same lessons that Paul was trying to teach 2,000 years ago. He's saying, if you want the joyful life, the key is you have to have the right mindset. You can actually find joy in the midst of the worst circumstances. And at the same time, you can be in the best of circumstances and with the wrong mindset, still be miserable. It's all about your mind. It's about how you think. It's how you perceive. But a layer deeper than that, Paul will say, it's not just having the right mindset. It's a very specific mindset. He would tell you, you've got to have the mind of Christ. If you want to experience Christian joy, you better think a lot about how did Jesus think What did he prioritize? And then put those to work in your life. Uh, Philippians 2, you'll read it again this week. It says this, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. He's saying, hey, in your life, in relationships, if you want to have successful, joy-filled relationships, you better view them the same way Christ did. And I believe what Paul did was he studied Christ. He then began to imitate Christ. And he tried to have Christ's mind so that he could have the same joy that Christ had. Does this make sense? Uh, In this, you need to understand something. Again, what Paul desired was Christ's mind so he could have Christ's joy. Uh, Jesus' joy, though, you need to understand, it was not him just feeling happy 24-7 throughout his life. It wasn't just about smiles and rainbows and unicorns, right? Jesus felt all the emotions. Joy for Jesus wasn't painting with just one color of emotion. He felt all of them. The Bible says that he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Uh, Jesus didn't just feel happiness. He felt all of them. But notice that phrase, he was acquainted with grief, meaning that he felt grief. He experienced grief, but he was not overwhelmed by it. See, the mindset of Jesus gave him a buoyancy where he could experience all the different emotions, but they didn't weigh him down or determine his path. He felt them, he experienced them, but he had the ability to then move forward in his life and have joy again. Even jump into the last couple days of Jesus' life, the very end. John in his gospel has quite a bit captured about what Jesus taught them and had to say there at the very end. And what we know is at the end, he had lots of emotions. At that last supper, he knew he was going to be betrayed by someone he just washed their feet. He knew he'd be denied by one of his closest friends. All the emotions he felt. He knew what he was about to experience in being beaten and tortured. He knew he was going to face death. 
And in this, he describes being immensely vulnerable with his friends, that he was struggling and he was in agony. See, he felt all these emotions. But one of the lessons he taught right in the midst of this, he says this, he goes, I've told you these things, I've taught you, this is what Jesus is saying, so that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be complete. Here Jesus is, again, he's got grief, he's got sorrow, he's got anxiety, and then he flips and he goes, hey, I'm teaching you because I want you to have my joy, and I want the full joy for you. He says this to his followers, I believe through scripture, he's saying this to you too, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, Jesus' hope for you is you have the exact same joy he had, that your joy would be in the full, that's what he wants for you. Now again, not that you're just happy 24-7. But that you feel all the emotions, everything in life, but emotions don't determine all the outcomes. That you might experience grief, but not be overwhelmed by grief. Feel the fear, but still be able to function and work and live. That's the joy that I believe Jesus desires for every single one of us. So then the question is, first, do you want that? Second, if you do, how do you get that? How in the world do we get the mind of Christ? So I again go back to Paul. Paul's going to describe in this letter that we are to become imitators of him, that we're to look at his life and then imitate him. Look at the different aspects of his life and then try to put them in practice as well. It's not just enough to know the right things. You actually have to do it. It's kind of like many of you know it's a good idea to work out, but do you often go to the gym? It doesn't help, does it? You've got to go to the gym. You can't just know it's the right thing. Same thing with Jesus. It's not just enough to know what he did. We now have to put it to practice. If I was going to break it into three categories, I would tell you what I think Paul would say are the keys to this mindset are one, knowing the purposes of Jesus and put it into your purposes. Understanding the community of Jesus and having the same kind of community. And then having an eternal mindset, eternity with Jesus. That it's not just about today, but this is about eternity that we are living for. Diving into the purposes of Jesus. Jesus very clearly in his teachings had lots of different reasons he left heaven and came to earth. But if you break down just a couple of them, I think they become the keys for Paul. Purposes of Jesus, I look at one of them Jesus said was, he said, I came here to do the will of he, my father, who sent me. Uh, Jesus, in this he's saying, it's not my will. I'm looking at God and I'm asking him, God, what do you want me to do? And I think you look at Paul's life, same thing happened. Early in his life, he had all his own goals and ambitions. And after his conversion to this faith, there was a change and he said, this isn't my life anymore, it's God's. So God, what do you want me to do? You just direct my path and I'll follow it. One of the keys to this joy-filled life is submitting your own priorities to God and saying, God, I'm here to serve you. Whatever it is, you just ask me to do it. Second one is Jesus made it very clear that he came to earth to seek and save that which was lost. Both spiritually lost and many times just lost in a community, lost in their life. And he wanted to help them out. And Paul reprioritized his life to go, it's not about my career anymore. He'd go, man, I'm here to serve people. I'm here to help them. I'm trying to find those who need to be found and help them. Finally, Jesus said this very clearly. He goes, I came here to serve and not to be served. And Paul, the same way, I think, turned his life, said, this isn't about me anymore. I'm looking to others, looking, saying, how can I help you? How can I serve you? And Paul, in his letter to the Philippians chapter 2, he's very clear that we are to have the exact same humility that Christ had and orient our lives to serving others, to be humble. And being humble in this, it doesn't mean that, yeah, 
It doesn't mean looking down on yourself, by the way. The Bible says quite clearly, you are a child of God, created in his image with immense worth. So it's not thinking badly about yourself. Christian humility is saying, yes, I'm a child of God, and yes, I have immense worth, but I'm going to value the other person more than myself. That's what Christian humility is. I'm not going to ask for the best seat at the table. I'm going to give it to someone else. I'm going to look to serve others. And Paul talks about this very direct. He just says, don't do anything out of selfish ambition. And don't do anything out of vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Don't look to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. Paul oriented his life this way. Paul in prison, and he's in prison several times for his faith. Many times he has seen serving the guards who are trying uh, to hold him. Trying to serve them, because he values them. He's trying to serve them as better than himself. Orient your life this way. One of the great struggles of your own joy is if life is all about you, you are set up to be frustrated. In this, he talked about selfish ambition. Here's how I identify it. Here's how I define selfish ambition. It's when my desires and my goals are more important than other people's. That's selfish ambition. It's going, I've got goals and I've got needs and I have desires and my needs, my goals, my desires are more important than yours. Paul goes, don't do that. Don't do any part of you to be selfish in your ambition. Rather, serve the other. Now, this is really hard in our world, isn't it? Everything that we grew up with and everything around us tells us we are most important. Growing up in schools, we all were given academic goals. We all had desires. And you're trained pretty early on to think that my goals are the most important thing. Paul says, you do this. What happens when your goals don't work out? You get frustrated. What happens when health issues happen and you can't accomplish any of your goals? You begin to go down these paths of depression and anxiety. Paul goes, reorient your life. It's not about you. Orient your life to serve the other person. Monday morning, go into work. And rather than thinking, what do I have to accomplish? Go to the people around you at work and just go, hey, what are you working on? Can I help you? Can you imagine how your workplace would change if you did that every day? They would begin to go, what in the world is up with that guy? And you go, this is what my Christian faith teaches. It isn't all about me anymore. I'm here to help you win. Can you imagine in our schools? If your high schools, if, if friends went to each other and said, what are you trying to accomplish? They go, man, I'm trying to make this team. They go, hey, I'm going to put my pursuits aside to help you achieve that. Can you imagine? We live in such a competitive society where we're always trying to one-up the other to prove our worth. And the truth of Christ says, your worth is already proven. You're not going to achieve it. You don't have to. So serve another person. Don't orient your life about selfish ambition. You will only be disappointed. Vain conceit, he continues. Don't do anything out of vain conceit. And vain conceit is basically saying, my image, my reputation is the most important thing. It's where you're constantly trying to see who has more followers on social media than me. And you're competing, hoping you have more than the others. It's where you're thinking, how do I look to my school or to my neighbors or to my friends? How do I appear? It's what I think has driven a lot of the debt in our country. That people are buying things they should not buy so they appear better to others. It's vain conceit. Paul goes, this stuff's only going to lead to heartbreak, disappointment, frustration, a lot of fear. Don't do anything out of vain conceit. Don't be so addicted to your own reputation. Be rooted in Christ. 
you start doing this and it changes how you view the world, changes how you view your things, changes how you view your accomplishments. And it'll lead, Paul says, to joy. That's how he reoriented his life to the purposes of Christ. The next thing with Jesus, I think, is the community of Jesus. You need to hear this. Jesus, out of anyone who worked the, walked this planet, probably really didn't need friends. And yet Jesus is shown as desperate for connection and relationship. He has wonderful friendships, deep, meaningful, vulnerable friendships. Jesus, if you read through, realized he never owned a home. So he was dependent on his friends for things like food, clothing, for where he stayed. He stayed in other people's houses his whole adult life. And this led him to a depth of community. You saw it all the way to the very end of his life, where he was needing his friends. Do you have these kinds of friends in your life? Friends that in your dark hour, you can call them up and say, I need you right now. Can you just listen to me? And friends who do the same with you. Do you have that friend that you can celebrate with to say, something great happened. Would you celebrate with me? And on the flip side, you go, I'm struggling. Would you pray with me? Do you have those types of friends? You need them. Some of you, the biggest priority right now, I'd tell you, is work right now and prioritize time to build friendships, good friendships. Not just going out and doing things together, but listening to each other, loving each other, caring for each other. Paul needed these kinds of friends. Paul had friends. Anytime Paul left on a journey to start a church, he brought others with him. He said, I'm not doing this on my own. We're going to do it together. And those people mattered to him. He was desperate for them. And in fact, in chapter 2, you will find that the church in Philippi sent someone to be with them. They knew he needed friends, and so they sent someone who joined him in prison. And it moved Paul that his friend would join him there, who stayed with him. It lifted his spirits that he wasn't alone. Paul needed it, and so do you. You need the friends who are with you no matter what. You need that friend. I think Paul would say to you, if you want to set your mind like Christ, you better have the kinds of relationships Christ had. Now, there's one other aspect of this I want to bring in this community with Jesus. And it's this, that, that we often talk about this faith as a relationship, not a religion. But many Christians I know still don't quite understand the concept. The idea is that God himself is still available and present with you today, right now. He's available to you through his spirit, through his presence, and you can sense him, invite him into your life. And the Bible describes that he'll go with you and many times grant you a peace that really passes understanding. And many Christians I know are choosing kind of to walk with God at a distance. God, you stay in heaven and I'll live in my life here. And God wants to be with you. Vulnerably, this last year, uh, lots of anxiety for me. Most days I wake up about three in the morning and my brain is racing with all the things we have to fix and all the problems we've got to solve. And I'll just go for a walk. If I can't fall back asleep, I'll go for a walk. And I'll just pray this simple prayer. Just go, God, would you be with me right now? Just be with me. I don't need you to solve my problems. I just need to feel your presence. I just need to feel your love. And often I'll just sense this overwhelming presence of God that reminds me that that this isn't all there is. That each day has enough troubles of its own, so let go of the ones that are tomorrow. And it helps me get through my day. It helps bring me joy in the midst of anxiety. Now, I need to tell you, not every day is that way. Every Christian I know, like myself, would tell you that there are days where you sense God's presence and other days, for whatever reason, you don't. And there's nothing wrong with you. 
This is kind of just a very normal aspect of the faith. But what I, what I would encourage you to do is, in these moments when you need him, invite him in. And just say, God, be with me. That's that community with Jesus. And now finally, there's one last aspect, and it's eternity with Jesus. Paul, throughout this letter and all his writings, you'll see something. That one of the ways he's transformed his mind is he isn't focused just on today. He's constantly thinking about eternity. He's constantly looking at this world, this moment, this day, and these sufferings and going, this isn't all there is. Part of what's given him resilience is if you don't believe there's an eternity and this life is difficult and hard, it can be overwhelming. You go, this is it, it's not working. And Paul would go, oh, this isn't it. This life can have hardships and difficulties. But there's another day beyond this one, a life beyond this one, heaven and paradise as Jesus describes it. A day where there's a room set apart for you that God's designed, said, you've got a place in my house. A seat at the table with your name on it, where when all God's people gather, he pulls the chair out and says, this is where you sit, I've been waiting for you. Paul describes all you have to do is receive grace and make Jesus the leader of your life, and God himself promises you eternity with him. And when Paul was at his darkest moments, when there was despair, and you go, boy, what, what's left in life? You'll see in his writings that he just turns his mind to eternity. And with gratitude, he goes, I'm so glad this isn't all there is. I'm so glad I've got a hope for heaven. And that hope lifted his spirits and reminded him that this day matters, but there's another day to come, another life beyond this one in eternity. And it just gave him a joy that gave him a buoyancy through difficult moments. Having that eternal mindset is critical. On this, some of you, you, you need to get eternity figured out. You've got to figure out what you believe. Is God real? You've got to figure it out. Is Jesus who he said he was? God himself who came to save the world. Do you believe that? And the Bible says to get eternity figured, all you have to do is once you believe it, then you just need to receive it. Just choose it. Some of you might even write that, right today. Just go, I'm going to get eternity figured out today. But these three things, the purposes of Jesus, the community with Jesus, and eternity with Jesus. These three things, I think, are the keys to Paul's mindset that help give him joy in the midst of all the different difficult situations. So, followers of Christ, let me encourage you on this. Get your mind in the right place. Pursue and train up a mind like Christ. Put the aspects of your life together that emulate and imitate him. Friends that you need. Purposes aligned in the right way. Serving other people, not yourself and eternity figured out. Paul, I think, would say, you do this, and you're going to experience a joy that comes from Christ himself, no matter the circumstances. No matter the circumstances. I hope you'll choose this. I hope you'll train this up. And I hope you make it your priority to have the mind of Christ so that you can experience the joy that he longs for you to have. Yes? Yeah. Now, I want to give you one other practice that for me has been so helpful with my mind. And when you walked in, you should have gotten this card. And uh, this card, uh, if you look, it says journey at the top on one side, has some verses from the book of Philippians. I grew up in a little church in Missouri. And one of the things they did when we were kids was they had us memorize Bible verses. Did anybody else grow up in a church that basically made you memorize Bible verses? Yes, me too. Uh, I'll confess to you, I didn't do this out of 
good desires. I did this because every 10 you memorized, you got to go to McDonald's, and I, I loved McDonald's. So, But I discovered something in adulthood. that A lot of those verses that I memorized back when I was a kid, in really trying circumstances, God brings back to mind. Just little reminders of his promises, of his presence. And uh, I'm so grateful that years ago, that little church encouraged me, put some of these to mind, that God will use them. And I wanted to just give you a few of the verses from Philippians that I've memorized over the years. You may need some of these. You may need one specific one that you just need to read over and over and put it to memory just to remind you. Maybe it's that first one, being confident of this, that he who began a good work will carry it on to completion. Maybe you look at your life and you're filled with disappointment. You go, man, I'm not who I want to be. You hold to this promise that God started a work in you. That he'll carry it to completion. And you hold to that. Make it a prayer. Go, God, would you finish the work in me? I, I don't want to be who I am now. I want to be who you have me. God, finish that work. And you just hold it as a promise. Maybe it's the verse I read earlier, the second one. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And you just go, man, my life has been so oriented to myself. I've got to change that. So you put it to memory and just over and over throughout your day going, I'm trying to serve others. I don't want to be about my reputation or my goals. Maybe it's the third one. Have the same attitude in yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. Uh, this is the one I memorized for while I'm driving, because I'll be honest. I struggle to have the, image, uh, the attitude of Christ when I drive my car. Anybody else? Yeah. Uh, it, seriously, as I drive, I just go, I, I got to have the attitude of Christ. It's not so good sometimes. I don't know what it is, but I wanted to give you this as an option. And it's your choice. But you need to, may need to put one or all these to memory over the coming days as it will help you experience joy. Now, I want to give you one last note on joy. And it's an author that I've enjoyed. Kay Warren's her name. And she described joy for her in a way that might encourage you. And I appreciate this definition. She said this. She said, joy for her, joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of life. And the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. And the determined choice to praise God in all things. That's how she defines joy. And uh, as I read that, I just thought, boy, that is a great definition of how she set her mind right to live in this life with a joy. And I hope you'll do that. But it would be pastoral malpractice if I didn't do one last thing. And as I've been talking about this, I know some of you, some of you are in some pretty difficult circumstances. And... Some of you, as I'm talking about joy, if you were honest, you go, I'm not experiencing a lot of joy right now. And what I would like to do uh, is just pray for you. And as best we can in a big room, actually pray directly for you. And so if in your life you go, I'm struggling, Steve. I'm struggling with joy. I'm struggling with anxiety or depression or frustration or loneliness. Whatever it is, I'm going to ask you to do something gutsy and courageous. What I would ask you to do is, if you need some prayer for this, would you just stand up right where you're at? I won't invite you on stage to do anything. But would you just stand up where you're at? And, uh, yeah. Uh, here's the thing. I, some of you know, I, when I'm praying for someone, many times I like to pray for them uh, looking at them. The Bible doesn't say you have to close your eyes. And so you're not doing anything wrong by this. But I like to pray and look at the person. So I would just love for us now, can we... Can we just all pray together? God, this is my prayer. God, for each of my brothers and sisters right here, each one standing, this is my prayer. 
God, I don't know why they're standing. I don't know the circumstances. I don't know their pain. I don't know their grief. I don't know their loss or their anxiety. But God, you do. So God, what I would ask is you be the good father to them right now. Be the good father who's compassionate and loving and kind and gentle. Be the good father who's present. God, might today they just sense your love and your grace. God, some of them need healing. They need healing. God, whether you bring healing to them through the medical means or through the miraculous, we'll give you credit. God, some of them need a lift. They've been just overwhelmed by loss or grief, depression. God, would you just lift them up? Raise their spirits, God. God, some of them are overwhelmed by loneliness. God, I'd ask your presence would help bring them comfort, but God, that you would lead people into their lives who would be trusted friends, lifelong friends, people that care deeply for them and walk through this life together. God, some of them are in the midst of a relational breakdown. And they're desperate for you to come in and heal this relationship. God, be the one who would restore. Restore what's been lost. God, this is my prayer for each of my brothers and my sisters. Care for them, God. Love them. Be near to them. And God, would you give them just a glimpse and the beginnings of that joy that Jesus wants for every one of us and that that joy would be complete. God, this is my prayer. God, would you hear it and would you act on it now? And we prayed this in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. 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 Yeah. Would you stand up? Did everybody just stand up? A couple things before we go. Uh, some of you need more prayer. Our prayer room's open. Uh, some of you are new. We would love to meet you. Our welcome center's right over there. And you heard earlier, baptism's coming up. We're going to have a baptism info meeting right here. And if you're not baptized but you're a Christian, Bible's clear, it's your next step. So I'd invite you just to step out right after the service. Come down here. It takes 10 minutes. But we're in this Philippian study. If you haven't started or didn't get a book, grab one. They're free. Dive in tomorrow. Prioritize it. Study it. Begin to have the mindset of Christ. If you started and kind of already dropped out, jump right back in with tomorrow's day. And I think God's going to work in us as a church to grow our hearts and grow our minds and increase our joy. Yes? So good to be with you. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you back next weekend. Blessings.